Welcome to Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. This is a board game podcast that's not like the other board game podcasts. This one is two gamer nerd brothers that want to share our love of board games and not so new games that may have been on the shelf for a while and replaced by other games. Maybe some vintage games that we grew up with. And then every once in a while, we'll throw in brand spanking new games that we want to try and haven't played yet. My name is KC, and that is my brother, Andy. Hey, dude. Hey, my brother. How's it going? I'm really excited about this episode. I'm, <laughs> Me too. I'm really, really pumped because not only do we have a little bit of a theme to our show, what, what kind of games are we going to be highlighting on our not-so-new games? We're going to be highlighting what are called, and I might set off the GND here, dexterity games. All right. All right. Okay. Thank all you. Right. So what is a dexterity game for the uh, gamer nerd detector that just went off? All right. So dexterity games, um, very, very easy. It's something that requires some kind of physical ability to succeed. Right. Um, you use your body to or your fingers usually to flick or hit or bump something into an area that you have to get in there to score points. Yeah. <laughs> That's in it. In fact, you talked about a game when you went to Origins, you played with your family and you couldn't stop playing. It was the dexterity game Crokinole, right? That's right, Crokinole. We featured that on our Origins recap show. And yep, you flick those discs and the better you flick them, the more points you get. That's a dexterity game. Any game that incorporates that kind of physical attribute or mechanic in order to score points or do well at the game. And not only that, we have an unbelievably special guest that I'm really excited about because he's created two of the great dexterity games that I have in my house. Uh, tell us who's going to be on the show. All right. On the show, we have the game designer, Kane Klenko. And Kane Klenko is a game designer who's designed some of our favorite games. Um, one of them we're going to feature on the show today. Uh, it's a dexterity game. So um, we're kind of tying things together there. Um, he's designed a couple other games. One of the games that you really like that you mentioned uh, has to do with the game Pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Pandemic Rapid Response. That's right. It's a great. It's a dice rolling game and you're timed. And it's one of those games that caused so much stress and was so unbelievably incredible when we actually won the game. The first couple times we crashed the plane in Japan and um, all of Japan fell under the pandemic. <laughs> oh, that's the way it goes. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> but uh, before we get to King Klenko and uh, we talk about our not so new games, Andy, we're, we, before we turn on the microphone, uh, Andy and I were talking about dexterity games that we grew up with. And we had so many great dexterity games when I was really little, and I have such a great memory of them. What was one of the games, the dexterity games, when we were kids that you loved? The only one that comes to mind, I know that we played more, but the only one that comes to mind was in a bright orange box, and it was uh, from a company called Ideal, like they made toys, and it's called Rebound. And Rebound was basically a giant plastic board, really long. It was like two and a half feet long. <laughs> you couldn't fit it on any shelf. But um, you had two rubber bands right. at the end of right. the board, one angled towards the left and one angled toward the right, and you had these silver ball bearings that were surrounded by plastic uh, rings and you would I guess roll them or scooch them toward one rubber band it would go bong bong and then it would come back at you on the other side of the board and try to land it in a scoring area so that was it it was really like it was like really just shuffleboard but on a miniature scale and yeah, it was it was really easy and really, really fun. I loved that game. Yeah, it was cool. Is Labyrinth, does that count as a dexterity game? Because I remember us having that Labyrinth board. That's right. Dad's old wooden Labyrinth board. Right. Tell us about what Labyrinth is. So Labyrinth was a big wooden box, a big square box 
that had a silver ball that you're trying to move around this maze and you have little knobs on either side of it. And if you've ever watched Survivor, they do a game like this in Survivor a lot where you have to manipulate the table and get the ball in the hole. That's pretty much what you had to do with That's Labyrinth. Right. And then you'd, it right. would drop through one of the holes and then it would come out the bottom and you'd have to try it again. Endless hours of frustration with that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because exactly. you, it was always this one corner. It's like, you can't make it past this corner without it. Do it as fast as possible. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I have one that we played a lot of. And I remember driving mom and dad crazy <laughs> and uh, because it was so loud. And this is called Gnip Gnop. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Gnip Gnop came out in 1971 from Parker Brothers. And basically it was this self-enclosed... I don't know, container, and it had two sides to it. Yeah. And and there were three balls that were positioned on three holes, and under the holes, there were three pads. And if you hit the pad, it knocked the ball up into the air through a hole to the opponent's side. And you win if you were able to <laughs> get all of your co player-colored balls through the hoops onto your opponent's side. And obviously, they won if they did the opposite, if they got their colored balls on your side. So what you have is simultaneously slapping these things, balls flying, bouncing around. And it was just like a giant echo chamber of noise. And it was just nonstop. Yes. It was hard. So that is <laughs> dexterity because when a ball landed in your area of your opponents, you wanted to get rid of it, right? You wanted to get it out yes. of your area. So you would slap that one. But you also had to try to get your colored ball over into your opponent's side. So you like your brain is divided. So you're slapping these things and try, oh, there's one. Yes. You got to do it. So there was a bit of craziness going on in our loop household when we were young with Gnip Gnop. It was um, nuts. I think you still get it. I actually still have a copy. So. You do? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I have it. If you see, it's it's ping pong spelled backwards. Gnip Gnop. Wow, I never knew that. You just figured this just out. Found that oh out. <laughs> yep, it's 50 years later. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Amazing. I was today years old when I figured that out. How about that? Well, thanks, Case. That's good. I didn't know that. I think they just ended up putting it up on a, on a top shelf sometimes. Yep. Okay. So those are dexterity games, and we have dexterity games that we want to feature. And then we have King Klenko coming on to talk about some of the games that he played as a kid, some really accessible games that he loves. So let's get right to Not So New. So Andy, in my Not So New dexterity game, this is Micro Mutants Evolution. This is a game by Fantasy Flight Games in 2007. Two to four players, plays in about 30 minutes, and honestly, any age can play this game as long as they can tiddlywink. Is that a verb? I think so, yeah. Shoot tiddlywinks? You know, here's a little history of tiddlywinks, Andy. Um, <laughs> do you know where it came from? Do you know where the word comes from? You know, I don't, but it's not ping pong backwards, is it? <laughs> it's not. Winkly dink tiddlywinks. It's British slang oh. for an unlicensed pub or a small inn. Tiddly was slang for an alcoholic drink. And back in 1888 in Victorian England, it was invented by a bank clerk named Joseph Ashton Fincher. Hmm. I say, pip, pip. <laughs> the game blew up with families in the 1890s. So the winks are the little chips that you're trying to shoot into the pot with a squidger. And if your wink lands on someone else's wink, that's called a squapping. And it's not called that in this game, but you're going to do a lot of squapping with your winks and your squidger in Micro Mutants Evolution. Small to be seen, alien insects invaded our planet long ago. Now they're ready to start a war for world domination. But on Earth, there are forces who can fight back on the aliens' own microscopic 
background. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very little. So, in Micro Mutants, you have an army of bugs. You lay out this felt mat game board that comes in the box. It has areas on it for your army to start. Four players, you start in the corners. Two players, you start from across each other. And there are little hexes to place your three army bases, their little tiles. Now, you get to choose an army. And by the way, the art for these armies is fantastic. There are four different armies. The Flyborgs that will try to assimilate their opponents. The U.S. Arthropods, Uncle Sam wants your bugs, big firepower bugs. The Soviet Topters, the Red Army of Bugs with military strength. And the Chitinians, they are savage free bugs that evolve. Now, each disc or wink has a different bug or breed on it. Now, some are really little, some are bigger circles, some are even rectangles. And then each bug has a different unique action that it can do. And each one comes with its own card that you put in front of you so you can remember what every bug does. Now, the goal of the game is to defeat the other players, it's a war, of course, by eliminating two of their three bases by landing your bugs on them. Then bases take two damage to destroy, so you're going to have to land on a base twice. And it's cool, if you damage a base, you flip over that tile, and then your base looks like it's on fire. And then on the second hit, it's gone. Now, you win that way, two of the three bases are gone, or you can capture the other player's bugs by landing on them. And once they're reduced to just two or fewer bugs in their army, they're gone. You mean squapping? You squap them? Yes. Good memory. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. You Thank squap you. the bugs. <laughs> now, on your turn, you roll two six-sided dice that have your bugs on the faces of the dice. And whatever bug comes up, those are the ones that you can flick. Now, you have the little plastic shooter, and you try to shoot that bug onto the other bugs in the bases. Or, this is cool, if they have a special ability, you may want to shoot it near another one of your bugs to activate them or do something cool. There are so many little abilities that make this game so much fun and different every single time. Uh, in fact, some bugs have a special ability that, depending on how close you are to other bugs, so there are measuring rulers in the game that you can see if a bug is in close, medium, or long range. And I, I gotta be honest, you have to practice to get good at this game. The, the more you play, the better you get, so you don't flick the bug off the table every time. If you do that, it just comes right back to the place where it was. Then there are advanced rules. So... There are resource chips that you can put in the play area that look like gems. If you land on those, you get it, and then you can upgrade the bases. They have acid pits or warp gates that are in the play field. There's so many different ways to play. And this game was such a favorite of my two boys and all of their friends. They would play it all the time. In fact, and I got to tell you this, my oldest son, Patrick, who's a senior in college, just had buddies over about a month ago for a huge bug battle <laughs> no of Micro Mutants. Yeah, it's still one of their favorite games. Fantasy Flight doesn't make this game anymore, but you can find it on eBay and other used game websites. I've seen some that are still brand new in, in rap from 2007, and most of them are used, but it's just a great game for the whole family. Really fun. Uh, I have to comment because I discovered this game through you, but then later on, I found a game that was very similar called Micro Monsters, which was by Air games and um, it's just a little bit smaller scale what you're talking about and it's a similar game where you have four different factions and you have a base and you try to 
get different sized monsters to attack each other's base. So I think between those two, if you can find one of those, you'll have a similar experience. Um, And I I have to say that I've played also with my children. I played Micro Monsters and my older son, who's 23 now, Ethan, which you've heard on the podcast, he was a champion. No one could beat him. It was like the ultimate goal to beat (laughs) Ethan because I don't know, he would have these miraculous like across the room, bounce six times, land on your chip and be like, what are you doing? How are you doing that so it's a great it's one of those great ones where um and i think we talked about this before we started the podcast about it's a game where you just stand up and cheer like if you do something like yes when you do something with a dexterity game like this and it, you make this impossible shot you just jump up and and just and you just like scream it's, yes, it's amazingly exactly fun right. to do and then there are other times when you try to flick your uh bug and it just goes <laughs> bing, yeah. and it moves about a, a yeah. millimeter and, and you're like, like oh, oh. The other thing I found out was it's different on different surfaces. Like, we moved and we no longer had a perfect carpet to play this on. So I had to figure out some way to make a tablecloth or something. And of course, if it's too springy, it's like boing and it goes like through the door into the kitchen, (laughs) out the window. It's like, okay, that's not, we can't. And then if it's too hard, it bounces too much. Yeah, it's very. Exactly. So that's a great recommendation. That is so cool. And it's so great that Patrick still plays it. Yes. Yeah, he has it in his game library now. He took it from here and took it to college. Totally cool. Hey, so I want to feature a game. It's a little more complicated, mm-hmm. but it is a game by Kane Klenko, our, our featured uh, designer. It's going to be on the podcast a little later. And it says it's for ages eight and up and recommended maybe even for young as six. Slight disclaimer here. It is difficult to set up. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes on the table. Unlike Micro Mutants that you just featured, this is a little more complex for the setup. But once you play, it's easy. And this is called Flip Ships. Uh, now, Flip Ships, we're very familiar with this game. Both Casey and I love this game. It's by Renegade Game Studios. 2017, it came out. Uh, you can play it solo, but it's for one to four players, ages eight and up. And like I said, as young as six can play, because as long as you have an adult playing with you, they kind of read the cards and kind of say what the turn order is and things like that. And you know what? It only takes between 30 and 45 minutes, so it's a real quick game. Here's a little about what Flip Ships is about. <clears throat> it was an ambush. That's the only way to describe it. The mothership appeared out of nowhere, creating a massive shadow over the city. Within seconds, wave after wave of fighters poured out of it, filling the sky. We're launching ships. We have ready, but it isn't much. Our pilots fight bravely, defending the planet, while we ready the rest of the fleet. Explosions fill the sky, and we've taken some hits, but we won't give up. Will you? Yeah, so that's Flip Ships. So Flip Ships is a cooperative dexterity game where players take on the role of like brave pilots defending their planet from an onslaught of alien firepower. You flip your ships to try to take out or damage the enemies. And then there's a giant mothership that you have to take out in order to win. <laughs> so that's the basis of the game. Your goal is to destroy all the enemy fighters that are represented by cards that are heading toward Earth. And then if you hit the mothership three times after that, you win the game. So setup is a little intensive. So I'll abbreviate a little bit. There's a battle zone tile, which is a long tile that goes along the side of the play area. It basically has three key features. First, it shows zones, a zone that's farthest away from Earth, all the way down to the atmosphere, which is like trouble. If the ships get to the atmosphere, you're in trouble. And that's how you track where the alien ships come in to attack your planet. Another one is the health of the city. So your city is uh, below all these ships, and it's taking damage from these alien 
uh, ships that are attacking. So you track that health on that board, on that battle zone tile. And then the next one is the health of the mothership, and you track that on there too. So if you get the mothership down to zero, you've blown up the mothership and you've won the game. So that's this battle zone tile. It goes along the side of the play area because the play area, just like Micro Mutants, is a table. There's no board that you play on. The other uh, thing that you need to set up are pilot cards. So everybody is a pilot, and you have three levels of cards, one with level one ships, one with level two ships, and one with level three ships. Now you start the game with just your level one ships and your level one pilot card. As the game progresses, you might be able to bring in reinforcements and get level two ships and level three ships that have more powers. And quite frankly, they give you a little more confidence going into the game because you have more ships to fire. Now, what you're fighting are enemy spacecraft coming down and attacking your city, and those are represented by cards. There's 60 of them, but really what you do is, one of the cool things that we'll talk about in a minute, is there's multiple levels of difficulty of this game. You can make it extraordinarily hard and include all of these enemy cards, or you can pare down the deck and make it a little bit simpler. The enemy cards are basically pictures of ships, and they have a number on the lower right-hand corner, and that is going to be how much they move towards the city at the end of the turn and how much damage they do against your city. So we'll talk about how that works in a second. And then a really cool part of this is you have the mothership. Now this is made up of four interlocking cardboard pieces with cool art all the way around it. And it basically, when you put them together, it forms kind of a basket or a square that you can fire your ships into, right? And they have to get them into this hole, into the mothership to destroy it. So basically, you set everything up, and on your turn, each player starts with two level one ships. On your turn, the first thing you do is flip your ships. That's the name of the game, right? <laughs> so you have this right. little token, and you put your, your ship as a token, a round token, and you can put it on the edge of the table, or it also the game also comes with a little pedestal where you can put the ship on top of this little wooden pedestal and flick it. And what you're going to do is you've laid out enemy cards in two rows furthest away from Earth, and you flick your token so that it lands on, hopefully, lands on one of the enemy <laughs> cards, all right? You flip your ships, and then you resolve your attacks, like your attacks against the enemy. So if your ship token lands on an enemy card, you've destroyed it. You remove it from the game. If your ship lands in the mothership, you get to move the mothership health dial down one on that uh, the battle zone tile that I talked about, and it tracks the health of the mothership. Now, if you're, you flicked your ship and it doesn't land on a ship, then it goes off to the side in what's called the docking bay, basically just to the side of the board. And then you could have to, to flick another ship. So it's basically a miss. That said, that's the core of the game. That's all you do on your turn. And then it's the next player's turn. There are different abilities and things that happen for different ships. So uh, level one ships have a, a certain, might have a certain power. Two and three, they get a little more powerful. So as the game goes on, the game scales a little bit because you fire a level three ship and it might have a really cool power that maybe lets you destroy something that you wouldn't normally have destroyed before. So that we won't get too far into that because it's kind of deep in the rules, but it's easily accessible. It's right there on the rules on the cards that are on the table. After you resolve attacks and each person has had a chance to flip their ships and destroy enemy fighters coming at you, then the enemy marches. And this is where the enemy gets to try to destroy you and damage you. And this is the dangerous part. So it's scary. Yeah, that's right. So each enemy ship has a number on it and it moves downward toward the city, toward you, equal to the number on the bottom of the enemy ship card. Now, it could move just one or it could move slide all the way down and enter the atmosphere. And if it does that, these ships damage your city and you have to move your health tracker down. Then they go back underneath the deck of ship cards that haven't been placed yet. 
you move the city's health tracker down. You say, oh, no, we missed one. You got through. Um, you know, send more fighters to the rescue. Um, and so once that happens, then you have what's called a cleanup phase. Now, this is really cool. Any ships that were destroyed are out of the deck, but any ships that weren't destroyed and damaged your city go back under the draw deck and you deal new enemy ships into the top two rows so that you have a whole new wave of ships coming after you. Other ships may not have entered the atmosphere and attacked. They stay where they are. So you could have ships all over the board in this grid in front of you that you can hit. Another thing to mention is if your city takes damage and the health marker on the city goes past a certain point, you get to add those reinforcements. Level two ships. So now you have four ships to flip as opposed to two. After all this, you repeat this each time until you have destroyed all of the enemy ship's cards that were coming at you, or your health has gotten down to zero and you lose. So you lose as a team, right? If you have destroyed all of the enemy ship cards, then you're ready for the final assault. And the final assault <laughs> is extraordinarily cool. It's awesome. You take all the ships you have currently in the game and everybody gets to shoot all of them and try to flip them into basically what's the bucket of the little cardboard mothership. And if you get its health to zero, you have won the game. If not, the mothership comes down, it does 20 damage to your city, you're destroyed and you lose the game. And that's basically it. It is kind of like, uh, and ironically, and we might talk a little bit about this, a version of kind of like Space Invaders. It is. Where yeah. you have rows of aliens coming down and you're trying to get rid of them before they reach the bottom of the screen or the bottom mm -hmm. of the table in this case. So that's it. That's flip ships. Very, very accessible. My children and I have played it multiple times and have a fun story to tell you about that in a second. Oh, but cool. I think one of the best things about it that makes it accessible is there multiple skill levels. You, you can scale the difficulty yeah. down, way down, to make it easy and just a fun experience. Or right. you can really go for an you know, ultimate test of dexterity and patience. Some of our most aggravating moments have come from this game. But I will tell you, just like uh, the moments that you had with micro um, mutants, there are an, there's an opportunity for amazing exhilaration when you do something well in this game. I've played only solo. I've oh, never, that's right. That's yeah, I've right. never played with anyone else. And it's one of my favorite solo games because there's something, it's kind of like playing Space Invaders when I was really little. <laughs> you know, it's just that that aggravation of, oh my gosh, they're coming, they're coming. It's great. That's right. And um, it's funny you should mention Space Invaders because uh, the designer, Kane, was approached by some mass market retailers and said, you know, this would make a really good Space Invaders game. And that's what he did. In 2021, he took the rules for this and applied it to a game called Space Invaders, and it's licensed Space Invaders game. And instead of enemy ships, you have little Space Invaders coming down to you, at you, and they're marching down. It's all the graphics from the original game from the 70s. Wow, um, cool. And it's the same game, but totally themed in Space Invaders. And I would say it's it's a similar weight. There's it might be a little less um of the of the complicated rules. Mm -hmm. Um definitely flip ships is a little bit more super hobby, nerd, geek, space alien attack. <laughs> this is much more like, oh Space Invaders. Yeah, I know that. It's like little goofy aliens and they're in eight bit, you know, aliens coming down. Excellent. So yeah, so just one last story I want to share about this is Yeah. One epic ending of a game. And this is probably the most epic ending of a game I think I've ever had in my life. I was playing with Lorenzo and Valentina uh, a couple years ago now. So they were relatively young. Valentina at that point was probably six. And we had gotten rid of all the fighters and we were ready to attack the mothership. And we had two hits left on the mothership to destroy it to win the game. Two hits. 
We fired all of our things at it. I couldn't hit it. I couldn't hit it. No one could hit it. We had two <laughs> chips left, and it was Lorenzo and Valentina's turn. Lorenzo takes his last chip, second last one in the, in the game, flips it, goes in. We like scream, like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then we all looked at Valentina and like, she's sick. She's six, six, right? So she's like, all of the pressure is on the six-year-old girl to win or lose the game. With the last chip. And you know what? She flicked it right in the mothership. We won the game. We screamed. We ran around. We still talk about it. How about that epic ending of that game? It was like it so happened cool. perfectly to create a perfect play experience for my daughter. And all she had to do was flick her finger to to make it all happen. And again, it could have gone the other way, right? But still, it's just for fun, right? But that was the best ending of a game, I have to say, bar none, with, with my kids that have ever played. Uh, they are... And she was so proud. And anyway, it was amazing. So Flip Ships, you can buy it right now in hobby stores. It's available online, just, just about anywhere you can find it. Um, it's not being printed anymore. So it's it's out of print, which is unfortunate because I think it's really good. And I think you can still find the Space Invaders version of it. But yeah, it's not hard to find, but definitely an epic experience. Really fun, really accessible. Like I said, up front, it's going to take a little bit of reading, going to take a little bit of setup. But once you play the game... Um, the kids will be all in of any age. And like you said, <laughs> I'm, 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 not sure. I'm surprised I didn't play this with Patrick because he'd be like having having big college parties playing flip ships, right? Yes, big time. So we've come to the part of the show that we we're so excited about and we're going to introduce our special guest. He is a designer that has designed and primarily likes to design timed games, family weight games, games that are kind of very easy and accessible, uh, a lot of cooperative games and things like that. And one of our favorite games, Flip Ships, that we just talked about in our episode, he uh, has been nominated for a Game Innovator of the Year for 2019 Toy and Game Innovation Awards. He's just a really, really nice guy, a great guy all around. Can't wait for you to meet him. And let's talk about some of the games that he thinks anyone can play. It's Kane Klenko. Well, welcome. Kane, Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, good. So thank you so much for joining us on Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. Uh, that's my brother, Casey, over there. Which It's uh, really nice to meet you, Kane. And I have to say, before we get to the games that are really accessible, that you love, that are not so new, maybe something you grew up with for your vintage view, Andy's told me this, that you're so calm, you're so chill, and just so cool. Yeah. You have to know, and I hear, I bet you hear this all the time, you've caused so much not necessarily stress, but angst. <laughs> and I, I get more vocal than any other board game with your games. Pandemic <laughs> rapid response. Uh, we created the pandemic in Japan when our, our plane went down in Japan and I screamed. And then, then when we won that game, it, it's like the greatest feeling. And then we just mentioned with flip ships, when you land it in the mothership, you yeah. literally just want to run around the room like, oh my gosh, this is the best game ever. <laughs> and also timed, the timing element of time games of Fuse uh, and Flatline and things like that where um, you just have to come in under under time or Proving Grounds, yeah. the solo game Proving Grounds where you actually achieve something in time where you never thought you would. It's just a great exhilarating uh, feeling for a game that, you know, it's just a, such a unique feeling, one of my favorite feelings. So it must be one of yours too, right? Uh, yeah, it is. And it didn't start out that way. I don't, it's not like they were my favorite types of games. I had these ideas and kind of put them together. Fuse was one of the first ones and just seeing people play it and getting that reaction, pulling it out at conventions and having a crowd come in because the whole table's cheering and standing up and yelling. 
yeah, it's exciting. So I just kept working on games like that to kind of brought that out of people. I love it. And I haven't played Dead Men Tell No Tales yet, which it's not a real time game like that rolling no. dice, but it's a game where you're you're trying to get loot off a ship. Is that right? Of a pirate yes. ship? Yeah. There's usually not standing up and cheering in that one, although <laughs> it is an extremely difficult game. So if you win, you probably would stand up and cheer. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's more of a, it's an action point game more like pandemic or games like that. that oh, I think he set off the GND action uh, point. Yeah. Action, action point game. Yep. Oh, Kane right. set off the GND. <laughs> right. so, Kane Klenko, what is an action point game? An action point. So in Pandemic or in Dead Men Tell No Tales, games like that, you have a certain number of actions you can do on your turn. So usually you'll have a list of maybe five or ten different options you have, and then on your turn you can do four of them. So each time you do an action, you're spending an action point. And when you run out, then it's the next player's turn. There you uh -huh. go. Thank there you, you go. very much. Okay, so our first question for you is a not-so-new game. So we cover not-so-new games here um, that you've played in the past that you feel like is kind of like a diamond in the rough. Well, there is one that I've been playing a lot and just played it three times over this past weekend. It's actually been released in like three different versions, um, but I don't think it's available in the US right now. So I actually ordered from Germany just to get a copy, which normally I don't do. But uh, it's a game called, the one I have is called Rapido. It's also called Escape, E-X-C-A-P-E. -E. It's a Reiner Knizia dice game. Uh, originally released, I believe, in the 90s. Okay. All right, I'm going to say Push Your Luck. We covered it. Yeah, goal. we've covered Push yep, Your Luck. That was like our first episode. Yeah. Those Push Your Luck games. Yeah, yeah great. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, so it's a Push Your Luck dice game. Really simple. Literally plays in 10 minutes. Can play up to six players in 10 minutes. And on your turn, you're going to roll two dice. They're not normal dice. They look like normal dice, but the, the numbers on them are different. So, like, one goes up to seven, but both of them have an X on them. So when you roll your dice... You're trying to get the highest number possible. And if you roll an X, you bust. But you can keep rolling as long as you want to try and get a higher and higher number. Um, but if you roll an X, then you bust. Your turn is over and you might have to move down this track because you're trying to move up. In my version, it's a stairway that you're trying to get up to the top of. You can roll as long as you want. And then once you're set on a number, there's this little track in the middle of the board uh, with five steps. And you can just put your dice on any step that you want. So if you roll a high number, you're tempted to go high roll a low number you might want to go low but you can go anywhere you want but if someone later comes in and rolls the same number as you or a higher number than you and they place their dice lower than you then they bump you off and what that means is when it comes back around to your turn if your dice are still on that track you get to move up the steps based on where you place your dice so if you place them on the five and didn't get bumped you get to move up five steps oh, so it's wow. riskier oh, to cool. go up high but you might get bumped before your turn. So super simple, super fun. But And I've played it almost 20 times in the few months that I've had it. Wow, great. That, that's it says cool. two to six players, 30 minutes. Is that an eight and up? That That's really accessible. Like six players. Yeah, it says up. 30 minutes. I, I'm a game geek, so I time my games in my app when I play. <laughs> and they're literally <laughs> 10 minutes, max of 15. Oh, really? Okay, okay. Yeah. And and it's Reiner Knizia. So so we've talked about Reiner before in some of the games that we've, we've liked of his that are really accessible, but that's a great choice. And um, so are you, do you play any other... Reiner games? I mean, being a game designer, is that someone that you feel like is... He's uh, easily my favorite designer, yeah. Next question on our list is, what new game? Is there a new game that's coming out that you're really excited about, that maybe you've seen, that you feel like anyone could play? Something like a recommendation from King Klenko of like a new game coming out that would be good for families or um, for uh, new gamers? Uh, something along those lines. And you know what? I, I think you yeah. could mention one of your games if you want to. 
Well, that would make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we will want you to mention your game coming up because yeah. I've actually seen it. If if you can talk about it, but what yeah, game were you? I can thinking? talk about it. it. Actually, comes out. I'll talk about that first. It's coming out in Germany at Essen Spiel, but it won't be in the U.S. until uh, sometime next year. I don't think a date's been set yet. Uh, it's a game called Nunatak Temple of Ice. It's really simple. So there's four cards that are face up out of a, a deck. So you just flip four cards face up, and on your turn, you're going to choose one of those cards, and it's going to be one of six types of cards. And then there's a board, which is made up of a bunch of tiles. And each tile has an icon matching those card types, if that makes sense. So it's like a five by five grid of tiles. Each tile matches the cards. Four cards face up. I just take a card. So let's say it's an architect card. I just put that in front of me. And then I can place one of my ice block pieces, which are like plastic uh, little pieces on top of a matching tile. So I put it on top of an architect tile anywhere. And that's all I do on my turn. Take a card, place a piece on a matching tile. A couple things can happen during the game. So as you place tiles, if you make a square, it's going to score based on who has the most ice blocks in that square. And then a new piece will come out and sit on top of those ice blocks. So as you're playing, you're building up a ziggurat, which is the ice temple. Oh, cool. Um, You score during the game for placing your pieces. And at the end of the game, all the cards you've collected will score in different ways. I looked at it on Board Game Geek and it's so cool looking. Visually beautiful too. Yeah. Well, what other game were you going to mention now that we we finished your plug? Um, (laughs) Well, a new game coming out. I haven't played this yet because you asked for new games coming out. Sky Team is one that really interests me. Yes, Sky Team. It looks really accessible and simple. Uh, Roll your dice and limited communication two-player cooperative game where you're trying to land planes. That's right. We Andy, just featured Andy, you this. you played this game. Yeah, I actually was fortunate enough to play a prototype of this game and also saw it at Gen Con. It was one of the Gen Con-like games that we featured in our Gen Con Jamboree was the name of our podcast. And it's funny because I think you will love it because it is a game that is very high stress. Just like doing that to other people. Oh, no. oh you don't like to. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you're like the least stressful guy I've ever met. So you don't want to land a 747 uh, in the storm. <laughs> this next question is my favorite because Casey and I, are really old and we've played playing games for a really long time like yeah. since, since games became games is there a game from your childhood that kind of sparked your interest in gaming that you remember that anyone could play that has that fond memory of you that you know kind of sentimental value for you um to be honest i didn't play a whole lot of games as a kid i remember we'd go to my grandparents and we'd always play uno there. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. I think they play Monopoly, and I wouldn't always even play. I wasn't really interested in playing games. <laughs> um, I remember playing Masterpiece there and really enjoying that one. I don't remember anything about the game, but I do remember that that was my favorite game at the time. I'm really oh. old too, so I haven't played it in. I don't know. <laughs> 40 so, years or something. So like Masterpiece, that. we did have that as well. It's a um, bidding game on artwork. It's from 1970. Uh, it was an art auction game, like one of the very first art auction games, and it had real pieces of art in it that you would bid on. So <laughs> very interesting. You should say that because we had that game too. And yeah, we did. I we did. didn't. Yeah. And I didn't play that game because I wasn't interested in like bidding on art. <laughs> but it sounds <laughs> right. like you did. Well, I don't know. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't. I remember that game sticks out in my head as something I really liked, but I don't remember the game itself, like playing it, like how it plays. So maybe I just like the theme and the art. Yeah, it was a beautiful game. So if you didn't play a lot of games when you were a kid, just kind of a side note. Why? Why why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I got older, actually, when my wife and I were dating, we played a lot of Canasta and just started playing cards. I had one friend who was really into like miniatures game, Battletech and 
all that stuff. So I yeah. went with him to a game store once when he was going to get some miniatures. And I was like, wait a minute, what are these games over here? These look cool. I'm not interested in the miniatures, but these games look cool. So that's when I looked online. Board Game Geek had just kind of gone up, still pretty new at the time. And I just started looking at games. It was a Wolf game, Kramer and Michael Kiesling game at the time, Torres, that looked cool. Yeah. So that was the first game I ordered and kind of got into gaming about 20 years ago or so. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Do you remember the name of the store? Is it still there? Pegasus. Yep. Still Pegasus? Ah, oh, cool. Pegasus. That's a great. In Madison, yep. in Madison that's Wisconsin. Great. Oh, that's yep. great. Shout out to Pegasus Games in Madison, Wisconsin for creating yes. Kane Klenko. Seriously, thank you. Designer. Seriously. It's funny how life kind of takes those different turns. But yeah. um, well, I can't thank you enough for being on. And I, just I have really a quick question, your... if you don't oh, mind, because yeah, uh, yep. from somebody that plays so many games and doesn't talk to game designers, when you're designing the game, they're so thematic. I mean, the pandemic rapid response flip ships is so thematic and so cool. And I haven't played Dead Men Tell No Tales, but it looks so thematic. When you come up with these games, do you think of the theme first? Do you think of the math first and then what would fit in? Or is it more of a like a songwriter does lyrics and music at the same time is it a, a conglomerate of both um it can go both ways i have lists in my phone of themes that i'm interested in i'll hear something and i'm like oh that'd be a cool game i'll just write it down and some days i'll just have like a mechanic a new like dice mechanic or something like that pop into my head and i'm like oh that's cool i've never seen that before it's when those two things come together like if i can match a theme that i'm interested in and a mechanic together that's when i'll start moving forward and making a game so I have ideas starting both ways, but it's not till I make that match that I'm really interested in working on something. Then I get excited about it. I'm like, okay, it could be a game about this and it would work like this. Then I'll, I'll really start cool. moving forward on it. That's so cool. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate yeah. you being on the show because this yeah. is just uh, such a pleasure. I mean, it's it's cool to be able to talk to somebody that I've played your games so many times and have had so many great reactions. I mean, Andy, right before yeah. you came on, talked about the number one game finale that he remembers is when his daughter flipped the last ship into the mothership and the destroyed it and won flip yeah. ships. And it's just you're creating so many great memories for families. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Amazing job. Thank you so much for being on. And again, we're looking forward to um, Nanatuk coming out sometime uh, next year. We'll see how yep, it does sometime. at Essen. Yep. Hopefully some really good feedback from the German market at Essen. And again, thanks again for joining us. Amazing to, to chat with you and find out yeah. some of the interesting games that, that you like, that you enjoy. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that was awesome. I didn't... Uh... I didn't mean to geek out so much, but it's just so cool to meet people that create something that that is so dramatic in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's inspiring, right? It's inspiring to um, to meet someone who can create memorable moments, like you yeah. know, and they'll last for a long time. Like I'll be playing flip ships for a long time, you know, and a lot of his games. So yeah, and I can't wait till the new one. And it was really cool hearing. That he didn't play games as a kid, and now he's like one of the best game designers around. But he got interested in games and walking into a game store. That's right. An FLGS. Yeah, that's really a cool and inspiring story um, that, you know, he just found that hobby thanks to a retailer who was carrying those games. It happened a little bit like that for me, too. I walked into my local store, which is Dayton, Ohio, the Tin Soldier back when. And there was a group of guys standing around a giant table with three-dimensional World War II airplanes on telescoping antennas. And they're like, hey, you want to 
learn this game? I was like, yeah, are you kidding? This is cool looking. And I don't know, I was in my teens and, and that was it. Yeah. That was, so, yeah. And just so weird that his games can be so stressful and he is so chill. He is extraordinarily so chill. chill. Oh yeah, God, it's it's so cool. All right. So what's on the next episode of Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy? Oh, we're going to go all medieval. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And uh, feature some games with medieval themes that anyone can play. And then we're going to take a jump back in the old time machine and feature one of our favorite vintage games from the 80s. And that's all coming up on the next Anyone's Anyone's Game Game with with Casey Casey and Andy. Andy. And here's hoping everyone plays games that anyone can play. Thank you.